Welcome to Redemption Community Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit www.redemptiondallas.org. Reading this morning from first from John chapter 1, three verses of Scripture. And John here is echoing what happens in Genesis. So the book of Genesis starts with, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it begins to talk about uh, the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of the God moved upon the faces of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And God said. So the voice and the Word of God is active in Genesis. John here is no doubt. I've never read anyone who disagrees that John is echoing what happens in, in Genesis. And John writes in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then reading from Hebrews chapter 1, again the first three verses of Scripture from the opening chapter of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews begins by saying, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So he's talking here about the Son. He's saying that it was the Son who, through whom God created the world and that the Son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And it is through Jesus that Jesus upholds the entire universe by the Word. Here again is the idea of the Word of God, the Word of His power. And then one last verse in Hebrews 4.12 show you the difference between like King James and the ESV. We're reading in the ESV. So King in King James it would read, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Uh, so the ESV, that's again a reason kind of why we use the ESV, is there's some language in there that's a little hard to understand like quick. You ask anybody what quick means, and they're going to say, well, it means fast. Well, in King James, quick means to make alive. To quicken means to make alive. Uh, so we don't, we don't use that language anymore. So in Hebrews 4.12, we read it as the Word of God is living. It's quick. It's living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God and His Word are one. You can't separate them. Eugene Peterson wrote, In the Christian tradition, spirit and word are organically connected. They are not simply related or complementary. They are aspects of the exact same thing. So this morning I want to uh, preach on the need for us to hear the Word of God. It is such a desperate need. With all of the noise in our world, we've got to hear what thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is forever settled in heaven, and we thank you this morning for it. 
I know your word's already anointed. I don't have to pray for that, but I pray over the next few moments of time that you would anoint our hearts to hear, our hearts to receive, Lord, your word, that it may transform us, that we can walk out of here different than we came in. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I was sitting in a church service a couple years ago, probably maybe two or three years ago now. A friend of mine was preaching, and he opened up the sermon. His opening text was from the book of Psalms, and the sermon text was, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. And I was sitting there, and I kind of turned and looked at the entire congregation, and I thought, there's a problem here. And the problem is, not just them, I'm going to include myself into the problem because I'm the same way. None of us sitting here are in awe of what we just heard. We just heard something that ought to leave us in awe. And, you know, instead there's people flipping through their phones and pulling out their, you know, whatever. And just, you know, it's like, no, wait a minute. God is talking here. The Lord is speaking. The God of the universe is speaking. And we've heard it so many times it does not leave us in awe. And I thought to myself, why am I personally not more in amazement at this? Why am I not rejoicing right now or weeping at this reality or standing in awe at these glorious truths and the reason is we've heard it so many times several years ago the house we lived in in illinois uh, a couple moved in next door to us and when they they moved in uh, the the people that were selling the house i'd kind of got to know the guy and there was a dispute in the transaction i don't know what happened um, but both of, I, I kind of knew both of these people and I could see them butting heads and then they certainly locked horns. And so the owner of the house, the seller of the house came over one day. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, I don't want these people to get anything extra out of this house. I'm not leaving them anything. He said, I have a grandfather clock. He said, would you like to buy it? And I, so I went over and looked at it and it was, and I know at the time, I mean, these clocks cost two and $3,000. And uh, he sold it to me for $50. I wrote him a $50 check and found out later you're supposed to have a clock master move a clock. You do not move grandfather clocks. I put it on a dolly and hauled it over. You know, I remember like pulling it up the steps and bouncing it up the steps. I didn't know that inside it's really intricate. And hung the weights on it and turned it, you know, everything's great. And then all of a sudden, every quarter hour it would play the quarter of the song. At half hour it would play half. It, 45 would play three quarters and at the top of the hour would play the entire song and at the end of the song it would gong the number of hours. Well, typically going to bed between 10 and 11 o'clock at night I would go to bed and I would be laying in bed at 10:45, and I would not be able to go to sleep until 11 o'clock because that we lived in a, it was a small house it was about 1300 square feet and it would just echo throughout that house. And I would lay there and I said, I cannot go to sleep until 11 o'clock. And it would just grate on my nerves. I had a recliner that I would sit in and the, ch the chair was right by the clock. And I would just, every time it would go off, it just grate my nerves. And finally, the point, I said, we're going to have to get rid of this clock. Uh, the clock's got to go. But 
she didn't want to get rid of the clock and uh, I want to get rid of it, she didn't, so we compromised and didn't get rid of the clock. That's how, that's, that's how compromise in marriage works. You always win. You, 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 you do always win. But I was sitting there one day reading, and all of a sudden it dawned on me the clock broke because I haven't heard it in a long I've been sitting there a while, and the clock didn't go off. I thought, it broke. It stopped working. So I waited for the next quarter hour, and sure enough, it went off, and I realized what I was experiencing, I didn't know the term at the time, but what I was experiencing is what they call sensory adaptation. It's why people who live next to railroad tracks, eventually the train doesn't bother them anymore. It just becomes part of it. We lived in a house, uh, that, that house I'm talking about was set on a, a highway and cars would just go by in front of the highway, 60 miles an hour all day long, all night long. And then when we left that house, I would lay in bed at night and I could not sleep because of the silence. I laid there and thought, I can't handle this. I'm used to hearing. I didn't realize it, but I had gotten so used to those, to those cars. The late Clyde Kilby, who was a famous English professor at Wheaton College, said, one of the greatest tragedies of the fall of man is that we get tired of familiar glories. And what I'm inviting us to this morning is to see the glory of God again for the first time, to hear and to feel the awesome splendor and majesty of God's glory and God's awesome might. I sat in a couple years ago in a preaching class. I, did, I was not enrolled in the class. I went one day just to kind of audit the course. I had the opportunity to go sit in it. And it was in downtown, downtown Dallas in the seminary. And the instructor is Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, who is one of my favorite speakers. He's a Scottish guy who I really like. And in this class, there were 25 other men. I was sitting in the back because I was not enrolled. I was sitting in the back. But the preaching class worked that the students were assigned a text by Dr. Ferguson, and they would have to give up and give a sermon. And then you had this world-famous preacher sitting over here critiquing you, and at the end he would get up and in front of the rest of the class he would critique your sermon. And I thought, well, that, you know, that's not pressure uh, to have, have that, but he was very gracious, and the guy actually did a, a wonderful job. But the, the text that was assigned was the last part of Luke chapter 2, where Jesus is in the temple when he's 12 years old. And it's noteworthy because we don't have any record from the time of Jesus being maybe two or three years old, like when the wise men come to give him gifts. This is not in the manger. I mean, this is, they're in a house. Some time has, has passed by, and most people think he's probably a year or two old here. So from the time that we have the wise men bringing gifts until the time that he's 30 years old, you have nearly 30 years that go by that you know nothing about Jesus. Like there was a teenage Jesus. Like Jesus was a teenager. Uh, we just don't have any record of it. But we have one record, only one time in the Bible that it talks about him between that and he's 12 years old. And he's in the temple. Uh, they have the caravan and they're leaving. And three days later, Joseph and Mary realize that, uh, you know, Jesus is not with them. You know, like these people are tasked with parenting the Son of God and they lose their child. Uh, and like, where's Jesus? So they have to backtrack, go back, and they find him in the temple and he's teaching. He's teaching in the temple, and all of the, the scribes and rabbis are just in awe of this kid. And uh, Dr. Ferguson, at the end of the sermon, asked a question, how many in here have ever heard a sermon on this text? And nobody raised their hands. To my knowledge, I couldn't remember hearing a sermon. And, and Ferguson said, how is it that we only, 
the only words that we have of Jesus Christ in the first 30 years of his life are the two questions he asked his parents at 12 years old. And we hardly ever talk about them. He asked his parents two questions. We don't even talk about them. And then he stands up to the class and in his booming, thunderous voice, he says, the reason why, and I'm going to use his words, he said, the reason why is because we are Christologically deficient. And he says it in his thick Scottish rogue and, you know, the heads kind of drop. And in other words, we just, we're not hanging on the words of Christ like we should. Uh, you could have heard a pin drop in the room that day. Don't ever let it be said of us as the people of God that we didn't hang on every word. Let us be a people who hang on every word that Jesus speaks, that He teaches, that we need every word in the Bible. Because there is a famine of the hearing of the words of God today. Today on February or November 7th, 8th, whatever it is, I think it's the 7th, uh, there are today 800 million people who went hungry because they didn't have food. One out of every nine people on the planet are without adequate nutrition. Uh, we've probably all been to the areas around here uh, where there's you know, a large population of, of, of homeless people, and my heart goes out to them. I mean, it, it breaks my heart to see that. I haven't seen it here as much as I have seen it in places like uh, Seattle or Austin. Austin just has this, just this massive hundreds of people, and it just it breaks my heart because there's restaurants and grocery stores throwing out food right and left. I mean, we, we'll eat half a sandwich and throw it in the trash and don't think anything of it, and there's hungry people all around us. But that is tragic. That is truly tragic. But there is another kind of hunger that our nation and our city is ex experiencing because of a great famine. Amos 8 said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. Now notice, he didn't say there would be a famine of the Word of God. The famine would be of the hearing of the Word of the Lord. The Word's there. The Word is plentiful. It's abundant. The, the famine is that there is no hearing. With thousands of restaurants in the Metroplex and thousands of famines in history that have killed millions of people. It's scary to think about there being no food, to not be able to grow any food. I mean, all we have to see is a, is a winter storm hit here, and it's a mad rush because it's, I think it's innate inside of people. There is something inside of us that even if we don't consciously think about it, the first time it hits our mind that we may not have enough food, uh, we, we kind of go into a panic mode. But this is a worse famine. The famine is not that he isn't speaking. The famine is that the people are not hearing. What I am preaching this morning is that God is still speaking. We can know his voice. We can know his word. And we must have his word to make it in this hour. With Bibles plentiful, with pulpits by the thousands, occupied by preachers in America every week, there is still a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord in our land. The word of God is powerful. The entire universe is in perfect harmony because of the Word of God. God spoke His creation into existence, but He also created the laws of nature by His Word. Everything that works in the universe works because God said so, because God with His Word puts forth the created order. The force of gravity is created by the, the Word of God. And it is that same Word that has the power to transform our lives this morning. The Word of God is a declaration of God's glory and the divine will of God. But you can hear something so long 
like a grandfather clock or a railroad next door. You can hear it so long that you cease to hear it at all. I don't want to adapt to hearing His voice. And with so many people and groups lobbying for our attention, and there are so many, like with technology it's just made it more abundant than ever in, in history. But we have so many options, the, the talking heads on television, the voices that come through every avenue of technology, and yet God still stands with His still small voice and says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. There was a commercial years ago, it had different forms and varieties, but uh, became popular. It's still talked about today, and I think it was probably back in the 70s or 80s. And it has become known, there is a principle, I think it was John Maxwell who wrote about it and called it the Law of E.F. Hutton. E.F. Hutton was an investment firm, and the commercials on TV were, and this would be one example, it would be a crowded restaurant. The, the, the commercial would open, it's just this crowded restaurant and everybody's talking over each other and there's two people at the table, they're talking about their investments. And one person says, well, my broker said such and such. And then the other person says, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and then it stops. And the restaurant goes dead silent and everybody stops eating and they lean in. And then the commercial flashes with a tagline, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. And it was a very powerful commercial. You can sure find it on YouTube today because people, uh, you know, they're, they're, there's always these commercials that, that are kind of immortalized, and this was one of them. But it, I think it stuck with people because they realized something deeper, that there are people that when they do speak, everybody listens. When, uh, who's the Oracle of Omaha? Warren Buffett, uh, when Warren Buffett speaks, we were at one of his many businesses yesterday. We went to Nebraska Furniture Mart. You know, he owns Nebraska Furniture Mart. He owns a massive amount of car dealerships uh, in the Metroplex. Uh, he owns lots and lots of things that you don't even realize he owns. But he owns them because he's really good at what he does. And everybody says when Warren Buffett speaks, and he doesn't speak often, but when he says something about the market, the entire market stops and takes notice. When God speaks, we must have the same response. When the Word of God goes forth, we must stop and listen. When we say, well, the Word of God says, that ought to be a trigger in our minds to say, what does the Word of God say? I need to know what the Word of God says. God speaks to us through three different ways. His preacher, His Word, and His Spirit. That's how the Word of God will come. His preacher, His Word being the Bible, and His Spirit. God does speak through a preacher. God still uses very, very flawed, ordinary men and women to deliver His Word to His people. I stand in fear and trembling every time I stand in front of people to speak. Not because of a fear of public speaking, that part's pretty much been dealt with over the years. I stand in a fear and trembling of something much greater, and that is I understand the weight that has been placed on me by Almighty God. I have a tremendous amount of respect for this pulpit. I am in a seminary program, and I met with my mentor yesterday, and one of the things I told him was it's really 
I'm really cautious about this. And I said, I take this just very serious. I said, because what I learn about God in furthering my education, that I'm going to turn around in a pulpit and it's going to affect what I say to people. I said, the people that hear me at some level will accept that as the Word of God because a preacher said it. I don't want you to accept it for that reason, ever. I want you to see it in the book. But there's no way around it. I've done this my whole life. I've sat under preaching and there's just something about if a preacher says something, you kind of make this assumption that, well, they must know what they're talking about. That's why I've never asked anybody to agree with 100% of what I said. That's why I've never been opposed to people saying, you said this in your sermon. I'm not, I'm not so sure it's quite like that. Can we have a conversation? And my answer is always going to be a resounding yes. Let's sit down and look at the text. Let's look at the book. I've had people come up to me after sermons over the years uh, and challenge me. And I've been fortunate I've never had anybody do it with a bad spirit. I've had people come to me, uh, had a man about five years ago come to me after service. He said, you said this tonight in your, in your sermon. He goes, I really disagree with that. And I know the man. I know his spirit's right. I know he's sincere. And I said, great, let's talk about it. And I was glad to stand there and have that conversation. And honestly, what happened was I didn't do a very good job of presenting what I was trying to say. And I knew when I said it, I already knew. I said something I knew was going to be very controversial. I expected that kind of response. I didn't do a good job of unpacking and explaining what I meant. And I think when I was done talking to him, he understood where I was coming from. But even if he didn't, even if he'd said, no, I still don't see it that way, that's fine. We're not going to all see things the same way. But woe unto me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, that was what Paul said, and I echo that. I've got a calling on my life. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And what I'd say to you this morning is if I ever stop following Christ, I beg you, go find someplace else to worship. There's nobody worth going to hell over. Nobody. But I want to follow Christ, and I want to lead you. I want to help you follow Him. We must have preaching. I thank God for... Uh, times in corporate worship there are times when the spirit just takes over and there is no preaching but that has to be the exception and not the rule because we will never get to the point where we can be so spirit filled or spirit led that we don't need to stop and hear the preached word of God when the prophet of God when the preacher of God fills the pulpit that that anointing begins to flow from the throne room of God upon that very ordinary person and God mixes his anointed word through the personality and intellect of the person in the pulpit and it flows to the pew to the place where you're sitting and it reaches your ears and your hearts and it transforms your life it is the way that God chose to reveal Paul said that God chose through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe uh, I've told young people who desire to fill a pulpit I said the best preaching advice I could give you is that when you're in the pulpit you must decrease and he must increase you've got to make as little of yourself as you can and say point to him and point to His Word. That's good preaching. The pulpit must have the liberty to proclaim truth without fear or favor of people. I need a preacher sometimes to rattle me. I need a preacher sometimes to grab a hold of me and get my attention with the Word of God. I need to be encouraged. I also need to be reproved. I need a preacher in my life. Second Chronicles 17, the Word of God came to Nathan at night saying, Tell David, he is not the one to build me a temple. And I covet your prayer. I stand before you this morning as transparent as I can be saying, I covet your prayer uh, that the Word of God would continue to come afresh and anew for new directions and new battles that lie ahead. The second way that God speaks to us is God does speak directly to us through His Spirit. 
the congregate the uh, the mentor that I met with yesterday, and I will meet with for the next couple months, is he comes from a faith tradition that traditionally did not put any emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit, and he is the the director of the doctoral program at the seminary where he works here in uh, the seminaries in Fort Worth. And I know that where he is at with his belief uh, has certainly changed from what would have been accepted in his denomination even 20 years ago. He told me yesterday, he said, uh, he said, man, he said, my faith tradition, he said, the Holy Spirit, who's that? He said, we had God, you know, we had God, we had Jesus, and we had the Holy Bible. He said, like, the Holy Spirit, who's that? And it was interesting to me because where he is at is uh, there is a movement, even among these denominations, of a movement of the Holy Spirit working, a movement of being open to experiencing the work, the supernatural of the Holy Spirit. And it is very encouraging to me to see that in those faith traditions that that would have been a line that would have got you kicked out, that today that they are open to those things. And they are seeing those things. You're seeing uh, speaking in tongues happening in some of these faith traditions that would have never experienced it or accepted it years ago. But God does still speak directly to us through His Spirit. There are so many kinds of voices in this world, and everyone is... People talk about pollution, but one of the worst pollutions that we have in our day is noise pollution. We are oversaturated and overstimulated with voices. We have to learn to hear that still small voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And if we will listen, we will hear His voice in our hearts and our minds. I can have the audience with Jesus Christ anytime I want. Now imagine if you had an open ticket anytime that you wanted to to fly to Washington DC and sit down with the President of the United States. Whatever, whoever President occupies that seat, you at any time could go and sit down with the President. And none of us will ever have that opportunity. I've known of people who have that. I have a friend of a friend who had that 30 years ago with a President that was able to uh, get on a plane and go there and sit down and talk with them. But most of us are never going to have that opportunity because if we did, we'd certainly have some things to say. I'd say, I have some feedback for you, Mr. President. Are you out of your mind on some certain things? But I can have an audience with King Jesus anytime I want. One of the greatest revelations that will help you in your walk with God is that you can talk to God at any time, at any place, in any given moment. You can pray anytime, anywhere. Years ago, especially, this was really popular 20, 30 years ago, was the prayer journey. And churches would do these prayer journeys. <clears throat> and they would have set up in different rooms throughout the church, they would have somebody in there leading, following the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. So a group would come in and somebody would be standing there and they'd say, okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And here we're going to begin by worshiping God. And everybody would do a prayer of thanksgiving and worship for about five minutes. And then they would go to the next stage. Maybe they'd be a prayer of repentance. And it was kind of help people understand how to, how to pray. And that was good. I'm not against that. There was no problem with that. But one of the issues that can come from something like that is when you really, really need to talk to God. You don't need to be able to have to stop and say, okay, well, let me think how I got to do this. I'm going to start here, I'm going to, I'm going to thank Him, and then I'm going to... That's good. We should have times we pray like that. But we've got to be able to stop and pray. 
say, Holy God, I need to talk to you. Father, I really need to talk to you about this. And just go in and talk to him. Uh, he, he's, not, he's not your pal. He's not your buddy. But he is your heavenly father. And he loves us. He wants us to come in. We are, the writer of Hebrews said, Let us come to the throne room of grace boldly to receive help in time of need. Well, the problem is in time of need is when we don't want to come. When we've done something bad or we've had a bad day or we, don't, we feel less than worthy to talk to Him, but that's the time we're invited, is in the time of need to come boldly into the throne of grace. We can talk to Him anytime, anywhere. I pray that God would make us sensitive to the leading of His Spirit. That right this minute there are hundreds if not thousands of radio waves passing through this room from television stations and radio stations and shortwave and cell phones and just all these different kinds of waves and we can't hear any of them. We know they're here, but we don't tune into any of them because we're not intentionally dialing in to that specific signal. And we are invited to tune out everything else and to tune in and say, Lord, what are you saying to us? What is the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? What is the Spirit of God specifically talking to your heart about this morning? What direction is He leading you in? Not the direction that the culture wants you to go, not the direction that your friends or peers want you to go, but what is the Word of God? What is what thus saith the Lord speaking to us today? If we can answer that question, it could absolutely change our lives. I think a lot of times if you answer that question and act on it, there'll be a lot of people that think you're absolutely out of your mind. And that's okay. If you please God, it does not matter who you displease. But if you don't please God, it doesn't matter who in life you please or what accolade you receive or what pat on the back. Most people who have stepped out and done something for God, when they hear the Word of God invite them, people have said, you're insane, you don't, you're going to fail, you don't know what you're doing. But if you know it's God, you've heard the voice of God, that's all you need to know, period. And the third way that God speaks to us is through the Bible. If you think the Bible is boring, then by proxy you must consider that God is boring because His Word and His Spirit and His essence are inseparable. I would contend that the Bible is not boring, but rather that there are stunning amounts of God's glory saturating the page of the text that are just waiting for somebody to open it up and unpack scriptures in a way that unleashes and reveals the glory of God. The Bible is the ultimate authority concerning all things. When it comes to us hearing God through His Spirit and His preacher, what is being said must line up with that book. If the man of God that is preaching doesn't line up with the book, he didn't get it from God. If the preacher says it and it's truth and it's not truth in the Bible, the preacher's lying. End of, end of conversation. If what we feel in our heart isn't lining up to this book, then it isn't God speaking because everything that we know about God comes from the Bible. I was taking a class six, seven years ago at that seminary I mentioned earlier in Fort Worth and uh, had a professor, uh, Frank Calendero, phenomenal guy. I've met very few people in life that could use humor in the classroom and pulpit effectively. Uh, he did it. The guy was genuinely hilarious. Nobody's ever accused me of being funny, so I don't try to be. Um, but this guy, this guy could carry it. 
Uh, and he told a story, he was on serving on a pastoral staff of a church and he had a woman come to him for counseling. And uh, now you got to know what 1 Corinthians 5 says. So 1 Corinthians 5, 1, Paul says, I've seen things among you in the church at Corinth that I haven't even seen among the heathen and the pagans. And Corinth is a horribly corrupt, immoral city. And the people of God are trying to be faithful. And Paul says, I don't even see this among them. And he says, namely, that you have somebody in your congregation who is trying to take his father's wife. And by taking his father's wife, the connotation is taking her to bed. And now the interpretation that is generally accepted is that it is his stepmother, that his father has remarried, and now the son is trying to go after his father's wife. Now this is, you think the Bible's boring? This is in the Bible, right? In case you haven't seen it, this is in the Bible. There are some things that are a lot more provocative than that in the Old Testament. I have a friend of mine who's a preacher who... Uh, had a new believer several years ago who was uh, reading a story in Genesis that I can't even repeat the story because of the age in the room and because this is being recorded. Like I, I wouldn't want to repeat this story. And this new believer was reading the, her Bible that night in devotion and called this preacher and said, at night and said, I'm reading this text. Is, is this really what it's saying? And he's just dying laughing. He's like, yeah, actually, that's exactly what it's saying. That really happened in Scripture. Uh, so this is happening in 1 Corinthians 5. You know, Paul is just taking the task. So Dr. Callan Darrow said, uh, this woman came to me and said, I am going to, uh, uh, how was it? It was, it was her husband. She said, I'm going to divorce my husband, and me and his son, we're going to get together. And Calendaro said, what? He goes, you can't do that. He goes, that's, he said, that's actually 1 Corinthians 5. He goes, there's a story in there just about that where Paul takes them to task for that. You can't do that. And she said, oh, it's okay. I've talked to God. We've worked it out. And Calendaro said, if it wasn't for disrespecting the Bible, I so desperately wanted to pull it out, 1 Corinthians 5.1, take it, rip out the page, throw it in the trash, and go, here's a Bible just for you. Like, here's a Bible, because that page obviously doesn't apply to you, so we'll just make a custom, custom Bible for you. Well, did she talk to God about this, and were her and God okay? And this is, I, I said all that to say this, if what you think God is telling you goes against His Word, it's not from God because I still, there are still times where you, you, you struggle with, did God tell me that or was that my own intuition? I can say, and I, I have, again, I have friends who hear from God all the time and I really believe they do very specifically. Uh, I can tell you I could count on less than two hands the number of times I felt that God spoke to me something. I'm talking about specific verbatim word for word. You constantly feel the impression and leading of the Spirit. That should be a daily thing. I'm talking about where God said, this is the voice of God. I could count on less than two hands. And nearly every one of those times, it was something that was very specific to me that was trying to indict me or keep me in line and said, you need to watch out for this. You need to be careful here. You need to change this. It was very specific. It wasn't, hey, I've got a word of God for you. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. It does happen. There are people with a prophetic calling where God speaks to them for them to go speak to other people. I know people like that. I've had people like that that are active in my life that speak to me, and I have no doubt that what they hear is from God. Please don't misunderstand me. I believe in the operation of all the gifts of the Spirit are for the church today. 
what I'm saying is the Bible has got to be the ultimate authority for all that to keep that in check. Churches and people run crazy with words from God. That, now I, can, I can tell you now, if somebody came up to me, I don't care how much I trusted them, and said, I have a word from the Lord for you that you need to pack up and move to Boston. It wouldn't affect me. Because until I felt it was from God Himself, or until I saw it in Scripture, now I don't expect to read in the Bible the words, hey Jeff, you need to move to Boston, but I ought to be able to see the principles in there. I ought to be able to see the, the arguments made in Scripture for why that might be a good idea. I'm going to use the Bible as the final authority, and if you do that, your life will be a lot more solid, because everything we know about the Bible is true. We don't worship the book but we do worship the God who breathed the book into existence. Paul told Timothy, all Scripture, King James language was all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The modern translations translate it more literally. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's what the, the language is actually conveying. It is the breath of God. And then we, we start understanding that the God's essence is spirit. And in both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they didn't have different words for wind and spirit. They used the same word to convey both ideas because they were the same idea. This is why Jesus in John 3 is using this metaphor of the spirit as the wind. Jesus says the, the wind blows where it wants to and, and you can't control it. It goes where it wants to. You can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. And then he says, so is everyone who is born of the spirit of God. So Paul is latching onto all this and going, all Scripture is God-breathed. The breath, the Spirit of God moved and created Holy Scripture. Someone asked me years ago, his name was Sean. He said, hey, he said, how do you know the Bible is true? And he was, it was a sincere question. He didn't know that much about faith or God or anything. He said, you, know, you, you trust that book, you believe in that book. How do you know it's true? And I thought about it <clears throat> and... You know, in times like that, it's not like you have a lot of time to prepare for an answer. You're just kind of caught off guard, and I thought about it. I said, well, Sean, I said, there's a lot of prophecies I could show you that have been fulfilled. I could show you how every Old Testament scripture concerning the birth and ministry of Christ have been fulfilled to the letter. I said, you know, and people have, I didn't tell him this, but I mean, people have done the math. The mathematical odds of that being fulfilled in one person, of everything that was said in the Old Testament, is one in just crazy numbers. I mean, it's just not possible. But they were all fulfilled in Christ. But I didn't, I didn't lead with any of that. I said, Sean, the way I know the Bible's true is this, is that recipes don't lie. And I told him, I said, if a recipe told me that I would do this and this and I'd get chocolate chip cookies and I follow that recipe and I got chocolate chip cookies, then I know the recipe's true. You, you wouldn't have to ask how you know the recipe's true. I said, because the proof's in the pudding. I followed it. I got what it said I'll get. I said, and I know that if I repeated that, it would work every single time. I said, Sean, the way I know the Bible's true is this personally. When I apply this book to my life and follow the teachings and principles of the Word of God, it brings me not only salvation, but it has brought me happiness and joy and fulfillment and uh, a good church and a good home. And I said, it works every single time and every single life that will submit to the Word of God. And I said, and when me or when other people don't follow the Word of God, I said, it always ends in disaster every, every time. And, and I told him, I said, and I don't know if I told him this specifically, but I would say this to you, is that in the midst of horrible circumstances and trials of life, that when you are living according to the Word of God, you can have a joy 
and a happiness and a peace that is in no way associated with those trials. Like I'm, I'm watching friends of ours that are going through a, a really, really dark, hard time through no fault of their own. And uh, the joy and peace that they're showing is just, it's incredible. Like, how is that possible? Because they have a joy that is attached to something that isn't related to their circumstances. And then for him to tell me, you know, if this is what God, if this is what I needed for my own sanctification and holiness, for me to be who God wants me to be, he said, then I, I fully embrace it. Only a child of God could say that through faith. I love the scriptures. You can read the same verse of scripture for years and continue to see it at new angles and new ways and new revelations. You know, I never saw that before in the text. I don't usually reread books. There's not a lot of books that I reread, uh, but I never get tired of reading the book. I never get tired of reading the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for He comforts me. It's just, it's just you never get tired of it. Every time I read Acts 2, uh, I've read it a hundred times. I, I never get tired of reading Acts 2. Every time I read Psalm 90, uh, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. I, I never get tired of reading that. This book stands alone. There is no commentary that has authority over it. There is no translator that has the authority to change the meaning of the text. And if you will read it with a prayerful heart and spirit, God will speak to your life through the written Word of God. This is why we need good Bible preaching and teaching. We need to know how to rightfully divide the word of truth. Learn how to read and study your Bible. There have been people who have been murdered for this book. In the Middle Ages, the Bible was chained to a post in the center of town. And it was only the, it was in Latin, it was the language that only the rich and educated could read. I mean, this is where the idea of the, lay, of the clergy and the laity come from. The laity, the word means the ignorant, uneducated masses of people. You don't deserve to read the Bible. You're not there. We're going to chain it to a post in town, put it in the language that only the rich people can read, and you'll just have to take our word that it says what it says. It was a recipe for church corruption that didn't fail to disappoint. You have access to the holy book. Eat this book. The Bible was never meant to be a mystery. There was an idea that came out of the Reformation uh, of the, the, I always found it ironic that it was called the perspicuity of Scripture. The idea was that it was so clear that everybody could understand it, and yet they used a word that nobody uses and understood. Uh, so we kind of replaced that word, so let's use the word clarity. So the idea of the Reformation was the clarity of Scripture. In other words, anybody ought to be able to read the Bible and understand it. It's not reserved. It's not a mystery. It's not a puzzle. No, yes, we need help unpacking some things, understanding some things, but anybody ought to be able to read the Bible from start to finish and get a good idea and understand what the story is, namely the story of God's goodness making the creation, the creation falling, and God having a plan throughout Scripture to restore the creation to its original glory. That is the, that is the story of Scripture in one sentence. It's just it's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the story of Scripture. My, my boilerplate advice to any aspiring preacher has always been, if possible, you probably should go and, if helpful, get a secular degree that could help you in the workforce because you're going to need a, uh, 
Uh, you're going to need to work and have a job, or if not that, find a trade that you're good at and, and just have a way to make a solid income and living because you're probably not going to be full-time in ministry. But then as much as possible, study. Study this book. Read everything you can get a hold of. Immerse yourself in, in books. Learn Scripture. My great-grandfather was Earl Rich. I don't remember him, but everybody tells me how well he knew his Bible. He was a coal miner and a carpenter, but he knew his Bible. Now, I don't know. I'm going to assume that he probably couldn't explain a lot of the differences between a lot of the nuanced positions that we talk about today, uh, but he knew how to obey the Word of God. Uh, he was a giver, and it was something that was embedded in him because the Word of God had transformed his life. I thought what a, a great heritage it was because I always went around saying that my his wife, who I did remember and who I lived uh, next to and grew up in her home, uh, I always said her favorite verse was Ephesians 4.32. Paul writes, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God uh, for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted. I was preaching this one time, and I said, my grandma's favorite verse in the Bible was Ephesians 4.32, and it wasn't in my notes. And I said, her favorite verse was Ephesians 4.32, and then I forgot what it said. I couldn't quote it, and I was standing there, and I had nothing to say. <laughs> it's like, be careful going out on a limb. Uh, I don't remember what I did in that, in that instance. But I was back visiting home just a few years ago, and one of her friends came up to me and said, you know, her favorite chapter in the Bible, her favorite and I was waiting on her to say Ephesians 4.32, and she said, it was Psalm 90. It was her favorite chapter in the Bible. And I thought, I thought it was Ephesians 4.32. And then I thought, what a wonderful discussion 30 years after her death to be talking about what her favorite Bible verse was. What a wonderful heritage to have that discussion. What was her favorite passage in the Bible? Learn to cherish the Bible. She gave me this Bible when I was six years old. It's a, it's a picture Bible. It's basically like in comic book form. She gave this to me when I was six. I read it cover to cover. I wouldn't take $1,000 for this Bible. Now, there is a number. I mean, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> if that was, if, I mean, if, if, if somebody offered me a million dollars, I mean, I'll, I will learn to deal with the, like, there is a number, right? I'll learn to live with the pain, but... It's not $1,000. My point being, it's valuable. It has value. Uh, churches today filled with big screens and professional lighting and drama teams, and it's fine if you want to do that, whatever, but not at the expense of the Word of God. And that's been the biggest issue I've seen with it. Not that that exists, but that if it in any way replaces God's Word, we've missed the point. As I close, I just simply re reiterate this morning, we must learn to hear His voice. We've got to make it a priority to hear the voice of the Lord over every other voice in our life. That is why the people of God worshiping together like this is so vital and so important. Because church, I said there's three ways God speaks to us, the Spirit, Scripture, and, and the preacher. Church is the combination of all of those things happening. The Scriptures the preaching, the moving of the Spirit of God that speaks into your heart. So if we're saying this morning, I think we could all say faithfully, I need to hear a word from God. I need daily to hear from God. I would encourage you to submit into the, to the idea of 
corporate worship. Dig into this book. Submit yourself to the idea of gathering together for the people of God and become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Pray that. Uh, pray that prayer. If it's something you need from God, ask God. God, help me to be sensitive to your spirit, to the leading of your spirit, to receive the word and direction that you need for your life. Our world is one that it has so many voices and noises and opinions and ideas and assertions and arguments and and we all have these things ourselves. We put those out into the world and we enter and engage into these marketplaces of ideas and that's that's a good thing. But what I think about an issue may be differently different than what you think about uh, an issue. You may have a totally different viewpoint. That's fine. But we close all of that out and say what I need personally and what you need personally what we need as a church is to hear the Word of God. What is God saying today in the midst of the noise and the confusion and the chaos? What is God saying? It goes back to the question, again, talked about him earlier, Sinclair Ferguson has said that uh, the question that we failed today to ask, that the Puritans frequently asked, was the question, how does God want to be worshipped? Not how do I want to worship God. Not how do I want to do worship that attracts other people. Do we ever stop and say, God, how do you want to be worshipped? Because His book tells us, His Word is very clear how He wants to be worshipped. If we'll just read His Word, hear the Word, and hear the Spirit. We all need this today. We are getting ready here in just a few minutes to walk back out into a world. And for the next seven days, until we come together again, we're going to engage in battle every day at every level. There's going to be battle. It's, it's, life. it's called real life. But what will keep us in the middle of all that is if we have a word from God, if we are hearing God's voice constantly, consistently, and being tuned in on Him throughout the day, just having a mind that is tuned in toward God, that is centered on God, it will change how we live our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank You this morning for Your Word and Your Spirit that is here this morning. I ask you that you would help us all to be sensitive to the leading of your Spirit, that we would know that still, small voice that is in our hearts, the indwelling of your Spirit. Lord, that you would help us to be sensitive to the leading of your Spirit. Lord, that you would help us throughout the week that in the middle of all the clamor and the commotion, that we would be centered on you and your Word and the person of Jesus Christ and the infilling of your Spirit, Lord, that we would... Lord, help others that we would be a light and a witness to others. Lord, that we would be able to minister to other people. That what you have given to us, Lord, we could turn around and give back to others to show grace and mercy and care and compassion. Lord, keep your hand upon us today. I pray as a, as a congregation, as a people, we need to hear your voice. We need to hear the direction, what thus saith the Lord. Lord, we believe that you have a, a divine purpose for us. We know that there are in this area, a lot of groups of believers, and we know that you're using them sovereignly to fulfill your kingdom purposes. And Lord, our desire is simply to join with that, to participate. Lord, we are invited by you to participate in your redemptive purposes, uh, to spread the gospel and to spread the kingdom of God on this earth. So Lord, help us to do that, to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit, to make the right practical choices to move us forward, Lord. And we're going to trust you. We, we have faith this morning. Our hearts are full of faith uh, and expectation, believing, Lord, that you are going to use us in a great way in this city. Lord, we thank you for it today. And we ask all of this in the name that is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen. Well, God bless you this morning.